Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the Breaking Changes podcast. I'm your host and chief evangelist for Postman, Ken Lane. With Breaking Changes, we explore topics from the world of APIs, but through the lens of business and engineering leadership. Joining me today, we have Victor Farsik, developer advocate Upbound. Victor is one of those people I just thrive talking to. And normally I do a brainstorming and planning session with each guest. But with Victor, we just dove in and hit record. Here you go. Let's start simple. Let's start with the basics. Who are you? What do you do? So I'm Victor, Victor Farsik. Uh, I'm a developer advocate, officially at least, uh, in Upbound. and unofficially do random things. And then some of those things turn up to be something and most of them go to, go to trash. Yeah. And I'm, I'm interested in how, uh, uh, Latroy, my partner in crime for the show came across you. Cause I tried hiring you a while back and, and was unsuccessful, not from, uh, anything on your end, but on my end. And, uh, so I was, I was happy to see your face, uh, <laughs> come up in the queue of folks that I was going to talk to. So, um, glad we could make we could make this work. So, what are you working on these days? What uh, you know, besides just random things, what's what's top of mind for you? What are you focusing on? So, the closest uh, explanation of the main focus would be how to build uh, how to build tools or pick tools. Let's say not necessarily build yourself that will help operators enable developers to be self-sufficient. And in this concept, when I say operator, I mean whomever is not working for the end user. Uh, And when I say developer, I mean like Node.js, Python focused people, because those terms are complicated. Everybody's developer, everybody writes some code, right? So it could be misleading, but let's say how to enable people to shift left uh, operations. So is this is this just DevOps? I mean, what's what, how's it how's it differ from what we've been experiencing living as DevOps? Oh man, I think that DevOps is a brilliant idea. Uh, not necessarily novel, but very very helpful idea and a good idea that got completely abused. Uh, most of DevOps people are or engineers. When I hear DevOps engineer, I want to freak out, freak out a bit, right? Uh, in mo- in practical sense, most of DevOps groups of people are just doing the same thing as before, but now they're renamed to DevOps, right? Uh, in some company, that's a platform team. In some other company, that's operations. Uh, there are companies where DevOps people are people who were previously managing Jenkins pipelines, things like that, right? I think that there is a huge misunderstanding what DevOps is. In my head, DevOps is very simple. It's about being able to have full control of an application. And that means not not only that you write your code and you write your tests and you have a manager and we wrapped those three in what we call Agile, again, in practice, not necessarily theory, but that we also need to be able to deploy our applications and maybe uh, manage our clusters and do whatever else needs to be done, like observing what's going on with our applications without moving those tasks to separate isolated teams living in in a silo, right? It's about removing silos. It's about being self 
sufficient. So just, I'm a, I'm a developer. Just give me an AWS account without any limitations. That's all I need, right? Uh, you maybe, because you probably, I'm guessing that you know what is a subnet and what is a VPC and what is internet gateway and so on and so forth. Majority of people do not know those things and it doesn't even make sense to know those things because it takes hell of a time to figure those things out. Because, and, and I think that this is a big thing, misunderstanding. Uh, AWS is not giving you the end services. You cannot go to AWS and say, I want an EKS cluster. You need to say, I want an EKS cluster with a node group, with internet gateway, with subnets, with VPCs, with 50 different things, and then you get something meaningful. AWS is a set of building blocks that people need to assemble in certain way, and how they will assemble those building blocks depends on their organizational needs. And then you get something meaningful. Uh, I, I'm, I'm now throwing random numbers, but 95% of people, of engineers, do not really know AWS enough to just say, here's the account, right? Uh, what you just said would be valid if you said, here's Heroku account. Yes. Here's AWS account. No. Just like Kubernetes. What? Th there is no concept of application in Kubernetes. H how am I as a developer going to say I have a backend application that uh, should be exposed to internet and uh, is stateful? I, can I cannot say that, right? I mean, obviously I can. We can run those types of applications, but there is no cons such a concept in Kubernetes, just less in AWS there is no concept of a uh, Kubernetes cluster by itself. So Heroku is a good example, I would say, but because what I hear you saying is building blocks plus guardrails plus some education, training, and resources so that I can learn. But Heroku didn't allow me to grow and learn and expand. It was guardrails, and then that was it. Yes, because so the story is that if you want to make something simple, that simple needs to be opinionated. Only highly opinionated tools are simple enough that anybody, literally anybody, without being specialized in those tools can pick them up. The problem and the big question here is who creates opinions? Because if those opinions are created by a vendor, like Heroku, right? They need to serve everybody's needs. And by serving everybody's needs, they're serving nobody's needs well. Now, if you're a small company and you say, I'm starting today, you can say, I'm starting today. I have nothing behind me, right? I have no legacy. I have no investment, prior investment. I'm going to do things Heroku way. And then one day you might hit the ceiling and say, this is not good enough for me anymore. But you can get a long way with Heroku if you're starting today. But most companies are not starting today. Like what I'm sure your company has already things existing in some form or another, my company as well, everybody's company. And that means that I have two options. Either I adapt everything I have to vendor opinionated way of doing things, which is an option, or I need to adapt a solution to me, right? 
usually the latter is more more likely to happen, right? Less investment. And that means that we are really looking into how can we make Heroku-like experience that will be doing what we need it to do, not what somebody thinks it needs to do, right? So I think that we are really missing, and I, I feel that that's the focus of, one of the focuses of the industry right now, we are missing tools that will enable us to create our own Herokus. You know, your, your company's Heroku, my company's Heroku, somebody else's company's Heroku. Everybody wants Heroku. I'm using it figuratively, right? Heroku-like experience. The question is only how do we build it or do we just buy something off the shelf? And I don't think that the latter off the shelf works for bigger organizations. Yeah, I want Heroku for healthcare. I want Heroku, you know, I want it industry-based too. I want it specific uh, needs. I want I want Heroku for Kubernetes because, like, I I'm not I'm not gonna go into Kubernetes. I know I know too much to even like start down that road, and it scares the shit out of me. So, give me Heroku for Kubernetes. Oh yeah, I mean that's also one of the things that. Either I'm terribly wrong or I feel that people misunderstood. Uh, Kubernetes was never supposed to be used directly. I see Kubernetes like, let's say hypervisors, right? Most of the people use virtual machines today. And I bet that vast majority of us do not understand how hypervisors work. You do not care, right? Hypervisors are extremely important technology that over time was made invisible. It powers half of the world. Hypervisors are behind almost everything we do, but hardly any of us are seeing them because we have, that's a building block type of technology, base technology that is extremely important, but it matured enough that it became invisible. Similarly, like if you go back, I don't know, like 30 years in time, uh, you were probably compiling your own Linux, right? And you were making it, hey, your own distribution because there were no distributions. But today, you want operating system, you get Ubuntu. You do not care about really Linux, Linux. You do not care about kernel. You're not assembling yourself. Kernel itself is not very useful for majority of people. What is very useful is a distribution of that kernel which could be CentOS, RHEL, Ubuntu, anything, right? Uh, if, it, if I change the word from Linux to Unix, kind of macOS as well, right? Mm -hmm. We need the same thing for Kubernetes. We need it to... People get confused when I start the sentence, when they ask me, hey, what do you predict will be happening in the future? And I'm saying, Kubernetes will disappear. It will be there, you will not see it. We have to abstract it away uh, with these. It should go invisible, but we should abstract it away with these guardrails and these tool, these suites of tools that we equip our developers with, so that they're able to be successful and and not fail and 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 be so miserable having to learn the entire world of Kubernetes. So who who's in exactly. charge of if I'm business leadership? Because this podcast is is targeting business and technical leadership. Who in my organization is is 
is in charge of investing in these types of this this type of tooling but it's not just tooling it's kind of world building you have to you have to identify the size and shape and scope of the world that you want to build the tools that you equip and then it seems like it it has to match up with HR in some way and who you hire and put into those cuz you don't want to put people into Heroku worlds that are too big for that world you want people who thrive and are successful in that world so who who's in charge of building these these Heroku's for the enterprise I think that half of organizations should be there uh, almost everybody on the right side of you know of well, traditionally the right side of the life cycle of applications that means operations without any doubt uh, security let's say right uh, it's the same story with I, I, I could make exactly the same argument for security as what I was uh, making before for Kubernetes operations and stuff like that right you want to shift left you want to provide you want to use your tools that only you understand and convert them into something that is useful to others, to people who are not specialized in, let's say, security. So the question is really, how do I contribute my knowledge into that company platform, right? It cannot be one group of people because that platform needs to provide everything, right? This is how we manage our infrastructure. This is how we define our applications. This is how we deploy our, our applications. This is how we do things so that it is secure. So it's really figuring out how to take the tools that specialized people use and convert them or create completely new abstractions on top of those tools that will enable, um, I'm about to use the word dummies, that's not the right word, but people who are not specialized in those areas use them. Right. So I'm pretty sure that you can, ideally, you as a developer, you should have a freedom, complete freedom, complete, 100% freedom within the things that matter to you, right? I should have full freedom to say whether my application is backend or frontend, stateful, stateless, uh, this is the host through which it is accessible, and so on and so forth. I should define those things. Complete freedom. But then there are things that are not about freedom. There are things that I don't understand, that I don't care about. It's just, you know, like driving a car, right? I want to have a complete freedom to choose where I go with my car, when I turn left, when I turn right, but I have no intention of assembling the car myself. You just need to make sure that the one that you're selling me, the one that you're giving me, is giving me all the possibilities that I deem to be important for me yeah if you need to drive so that could snow. be a stick or no stick right automatic yeah. or, or stick it's my choice it, not yours but if you need to go off-road if, if you need four-wheel drive if you need to drive in snow if you need a truck you know to carry if you need to haul things all of those things need to be there yes you, you need to figure out what are my needs that's the essence of everything everybody has a customer and you need to figure out how you can sell me something. And when I say that, I don't mean business-wise outside of my company, our users of our products or services, but no, within your company. 
And so is this so is this Heroku? I, I actually really like the Heroku analogy too, and 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 the and the vehicle too. We can visit that again in a bit. But if I'm, is this just the the ops thing that I I see popping up everywhere? Because basically every call or show I've been doing with breaking changes, um, it has you know it's DevOps. It starts with DevOps, and then there's SecOps. And then I had a data ops conversation with someone and an ML ops and a model ops. And then yesterday we did one that was um, a cloud transformation specialist and they were talking about FinOps. So managing your budget, your your Amazon spend and, and dialing that in. So is this all just ops and trying to create these structures that exist that help us manage this end to end? and. and yeah, there is, we are still maybe missing a term that would identify, group all those things together. Because my first association when I hear now DevSecOps, FinOps, and stuff like that is, okay, that's very useful to, to you. Again, that's your silo, right? And that's very important. Each of us is specialized in something and we need to have ever, always better and better ways to do whatever we need to do. But it's very easy to lose the end goal uh, or to, to forget about the end goal. And end goal is to enable developers to be more proficient, right? And if uh, by having uh, 57 new terms that start with dev uh, and ops and something in the middle, uh, we are going to uh, accomplish that goal, great. But I'm afraid that we are still, again, going into circles, seeing removal of silos and then almost immediately after that uh recreation of those same silos Interesting. Uh, i i really don't want to open a jira ticket to anybody to do anything that is related to my work let's that's my desire now split people into any way you want but what the end goal is that i never ever open a jira ticket to request something I As should a just developer, be able to so. do it. Yeah, I should just yeah, be able to do just it. Like, I should be able to set up the database. I should be able to set up the, the compute, whatever I need. A good example is AWS. I dare anybody to show me an email that they sent to AWS saying, I need a VM. Or, or any other email requesting something. AWS or Azure or Google, they're actually very good examples of that. You can do anything you need to do I mean, not anything that could be done, but within the, their area of, of expertise, anything without ever contacting a person. They're making operations, let's say, uh, and I'm using, using that term very loosely, very self-sufficient. Self you can do anything you need to do to manage your workloads in cloud. Brilliant. I want the same. I want... All of those people using services like AWS to do the same thing for uh, everybody else in my company. It's it's kind of like the old uh, the Jeff Bezos myth that is mostly bullshit, but you still hear a lot about how he said, you know, if you wanna if you wanna order compute from you know IT department, you've got to do it through a service. If you want something from marketing, you should do it through a service. And and I used to make jokes to people that well, I'll just abstract away the Jira API and not let you know that it's a Jira API and you can make any request to the Jira API and it'll open up a ticket. 
it's the worst idea possible. Like I would never do this. I was just joking that every people abuse Jira and Jira becomes this bottleneck. But what the point I'm trying to make is, is if your entire topology is an API, is a service, and you have the right identity and access management layer layered over the top, anything new, any new, whether it's a third-party SaaS, anything should be abstracted away as part of that, and you should be able to provision anything company-wide through a service, right? Uh, now we're going, getting to the real deal. Exactly. What, everything that we were speaking so far, I think, boils down to actually, you know, different groups of people with different expertise. They have different services. I do not care about those. I mean, that's that's your thing. What I do care is that they they all are converging into a single API that can be used by everybody in a company. Now, whether we put uh, UI or CLI or Visual Studio Code on top of that API, that's to me that's already a simple thing. I do not care about that. Those can be even auto-generated, right? What we really need an API. Every company needs an API that will enable everybody to perform whichever tasks they want, they need to do. Whether that's creating a virtual machine, whether that's creating a cluster, uh, defining uh, 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 defining the state of an application or uh, anything else, whatever, whatever we need to do goes through a single API. Very simple. I mean, very hard to accomplish, right? But it's, it's really a very simple idea. What I don't this want, is, this is, sorry, oh, go ahead. What I don't want is for every group of people providing different services, you know, op security, this and that, to give me their own unique API for something, right? Because then we are getting into the game that I will never learn those things. Oh, if I need to, if I need to figure out Puppet something something for this and Terraform something something for that and Jenky something something for that and so on and so forth. Again, you know those tools because they're part of, they're what you do. I don't. Just like you do not understand uh, Go compilers because that's, that's not your job, right? Uh, so I'm really, when I talk about those types of platforms, I'm really talking about uh, hiding all those complexities behind a simple tailor-made API and, and behind that API control plane that will make sure that, you know, you request this or you define the state of that, it goes to API, there is a control plane of whichever technology you want. That, that's a secondary thing that is making things happen. Now, whether that control plane will create a Jira ticket and then uh, that Jira ticket will be converted into five other Jira tickets and then... Uh, uh, they will execute shell scripts. I don't care. What I do care is that I, I get the response reasonably fast saying, okay, it will be done in a relatively brief period of time. What's behind it? Yes. It can be powered by Excel for all I care. Me it's mechanical Turk or it's, it's a human. It's, we're just outsourcing that to humans somewhere in the world. And they yeah. open up the Jira tickets. I mean, like when you shop in Amazon.com, you do not really care what's behind it. You just care that the service you're getting, you click a button, it goes to shopping cart, you purchase something, 
Uh, it uh, already knows your bank account and whatever. And uh, within a day, within 24 hours, it's at your doorstep. Now, yeah. whether it came from yeah. China or India or from two streets uh, below you, it's completely relevant. Yeah, and that, that abstracting away, uh, this is, w when I say API first, I get a lot of pushback from a lot of people because like, like DevOps, it's an abused term, it's an abused phrase to the point where it's almost meaningless to a lot of folks. But I try to push on everybody across the organization to, to do things in an API first way. And most people associate it with, well, before we build a web app or a mobile app, we should we should build an API and, and, and do it properly. And that's, that's the 2008 version of it in my mind. But mine's the Amazon, what we just talked about, your, all your infrastructure have APIs, your Kubernetes, everything has APIs, your network, you talked about your VPC. I should be able to set up my networks in an automated way. But I also try to get business folk, uh, you know, I have, have groups who are, who are doing educational resources and, and trainings and workshops and they're, they're reviewing software for training materials. And I say, are you doing it in an API first way? And they're like, well, we're not gonna build an API. And I'm like, no, before you sign that three-year contract, do they have an API? Does that CMS or that, that learning management system have an API? Because I wanna abstract away this decision you made, because no offense, you're gonna be gone in three years. And no one's gonna know why you made that decision to buy that software. And as long as I have it abstracted away with a simple interface that Victor wants, because Victor never know, didn't care, wasn't involved in the buying of this software, but it's abstract away. And Victor can still get the educational resources he needs for his, 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 his workshops. Exactly. As long as that is simple for Victor, because Victor cannot comprehend complicated things. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And then... Then on top of that, there's automation, uh, opens up whole new worlds for automation to be able to do stuff, but abstracting away things, uh, whether they're internal infrastructure, external services or infrastructure and creating that, that enterprise stack that is going to enable us. I think that's because then I, I don't even see left or right. It's, it's, it's any direction that you want to go, right? It, it just opens up a whole new world with a lot less limitations. Oh yeah. The only thing I would add to that is, I think we need to start distinguishing, you know, uh, those top player APIs that are actually supposed to be used by everybody and majority of everybody does not care for many of the details that you do. And, uh, and the APIs below that, that, you know, like, what I mentioned before, VPCs, nobody cares about them. Please do not include, do not force me to go through that uh, when we are talking about that top layer API, universal API, right? Uh, we need to simplify things and simplification needs to happen on the API level because if it doesn't happen there, then it's not going to happen in UIs or CLIs or IDs or anywhere else. Well, how do we how do we deal with all the opinions? I mean, as you said, this this has to be opinionated to, to get us here, but even I struggle at the API layer because, you know, it's got to be GraphQL. No, it's got to be REST. No, it's got to be Hypermedia. It's got to be uh, Kafka. It's no HTTP is not going to do what we need. We need gRPC and HTTP too. So 
how do you address all the, those opinions and abstract away the opinions and, and, and the assholes that tend to come with the opinions? So op- in majority of cases, most of the company o- companies already have very strong opinions, to clarify. So uh, you will hardly go to a bigger bank or insurance or b- car manufacturer or whatever that they don't have very strong opinions how their clusters are set up, how their applications work. Everybody is already hard, very, very highly opinionated. The problem is that we do not have the, they rarely have those APIs that actually uh, abstract those opinions, right? That actually provide a communication bridge between what, uh, which parts of those opinions should be public. And when I say public, I mean uh, accessible to everybody in a company and which should not, right? You are very opinionated about 57,000 different things that need to happen about your cluster. But what the uh, majority of people, when they open a Jira ticket for you, what they really say is that I want a cluster in US and it should be small, right? Uh, or maybe actually those Jira tickets forms or uh, fields in Jira tickets uh, would give you a clue, kind of like, okay, so when people request something from me, what do they, uh, what is the form that they're filling in? And which fields they're, they're in which fields they're putting dot because it's mandatory field. So you need to put something, but you do not know what that something is, right? So kind of, you remove all those faked fields and say, this is what matters, right? This is what people care about. It's as simple as that. So opinions yeah. are there. Uh, what is missing really is finding out what people really, really want because we rarely treat other people in our companies as customers, more like um, people that bother us. And people that bother us, <laughs> yes. <laughs> And and it's it's that I'm doing a lot of work right now on on APIs as a product. Uh, how do you train that next generation of product managers to develop APIs and and do it in a rapid iterative way, but not um, not in a way that that reflects just our technical desires. Actually, has that feedback loop in place with the customers and real world customers and stakeholders who actually are going to give the feedback that's needed to make sure that that the it's not just a service or an API, it's a product. It actually solves a problem, brings a certain solution. And I was talking with a, a, a major, one of the top insurance companies last week, and they said, well, we've been doing the API thing. We, we launched a portal in 2015, and we published a bunch of APIs. And the APIs, it was an IT-led initiative. And they were good and 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 we had some hackathons and people built some interesting things but really they're not products they're not they don't solve any business need they didn't have any monetary aspect in mind they didn't they were just kind of playthings technical playthings that 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 we 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 jumped on a trend and needed to do but we started bringing in more business stakeholders early on in the process. We started opening up wider uh, other legacy. We started modernizing other legacy stuff, wrapping them as services and, and made our internal catalog and then started equipping people to go external with these new and create new products. But they were built on legacy infrastructure, 
built in this new API way, but they had business intent, business value. They were, we, we, we took away the fear of going external and, and opening things up with partners so that we could get more business stakeholders and more feedback. And they posted, you know, like 10 billion, uh, annual earnings last year. It was insane. And, and this is why they're able to do it because they're able, they have that feedback loop. They treated them as products. Exactly. It must be a product. Um, counter story to that one is actually uh, maybe five days ago. Uh, I was in a conference. I spoke with uh, a guy who came with a question and said, look, I just spent a lot of time building this and that for developers, right? And uh, they do not want to use it. Can you help me uh, figure out how to convince them to use it? And I was like, no. It's not about you convincing. If, if, you're, if that is serving their need, they would be using it. So the problem is not that you are not really convincing. The, the problem is that you're not serving their needs. And that's yeah. what products are yeah. about. Every single product, successful product. I'm not talking about our industry, but in general. Every single successful product is based on a very simple idea. We are solving somebody's problems, somebody's needs. And because we're doing that, they're happily using our products or owning our products or whatever the product is. Very simple. It's a product. And, and history is full of lots of products that didn't meet a need. They just don't exist anymore and you never hear about them. Yeah, exactly. They go away. Yeah. It's just that, you know, when, when those products yeah. are on the real market, it kind of becomes a bit easier, right? Because... Hey, you, that product uh, is not attracting enough revenue. It's not really successful on the market. Therefore, it goes away. Now, when we talk about internal products, since they're not really, they should be, but they're not really following the same logic of market logic in a way, right? They tend to keep existing forever. Because we built this, therefore, everybody must be using it. Right, so kind of. Well, we can control the market. We can mandate, hey, everyone use this. So we we artificially create markets. Exactly, internally. you must use this, and uh, then you turn your back on those people. And then uh, if you leave the recording device, you will see that they really, really, really hate you. <laughs> so, so do you think? microservices uh, and, and everything that's happened with that, do you think all we should be treating these types of services as products more and, and uh, rather and and changing the way we, we do things internally? Yeah, so I wouldn't necessarily say I'm a huge fan of microservices, even though I don't think that microservices solve all the problems in the world. And, and I really hate Taliban type of behavior, kind of like everybody must be using Kubernetes, everybody must be using microservices, so on and so forth. But what I do like about microservices, and my description of microservices tends to be different than the uh, description of other people. Uh, microservices is what you can develop in a team that is less than 10 people and have full control of that something. Right? Uh, and it needs to be relatively small by the nature simply because you cannot have a huge monster developed by, let's say, eight people that includes testers, managers, and uh, operations and everything, right? Um, so I like, I like 
the idea of each team being able to work uninterrupted, which I believe is the, so, so team. the essence of everything I said so far. The reason why I want all those services from other teams is so that I the other seven, eight people in my team, we can just go as fast as we can without being um, being stopped by, you know, oh, now it needs to go to this department. Like security audit, you know. Uh, whenever you say security audit to, to people, they, they, they really get depressed. Not because they don't want their software to be secured, but because, hey, uh, that means that our project is going to get delayed now because we are going to get a list of the things that we should have done three months ago, but we didn't because we have no idea what those things are. So with this freedom and you give your team's agency and freedom to do as they need, uh, comes with accountability though too, because if you have services that others depend on, uh, you have to be accountable to to those dependencies on you as well. So it's a two way street. It's not just getting out of your way so you can do what you want. You you got to be held accountable as well. well. Yeah, yeah. You you have full ownership of it. That means that hey, if it stops working in the middle of the night, Saturday night, uh, it's your it's your responsibility to fix it, right? Now sometimes things fail because we have bigger problem than problems related to one application, the whole system, the whole data center might be down. So I'm, I'm excluding those cases, right? We still need that's kind of dealt separately, but my application, my product, uh, my benefits and my responsibility as well. And this is also yeah. where... And your cost, how much your Amazon bill? Yeah. I mean, among other things, I should have my own budget and I should be incentivized actually to uh, save money. Uh, and the only way I can be incentivized is if it's actually my budget, not your budget. Like, what is the incentive for me yeah. to make more efficient application that actually requires less memory and CPU if I'm not in any form or way related, uh, uh, involved, not related, involved in how that application runs, if that's your job? Yeah, agreed. Wow, um, I'm glad we we jump, just jumped right into this conversation. I can tell we could go on forever, <laughs> but uh, our our data shows that people stop tuning in around forty forty five minutes. So <laughs> we're gonna. <laughs> um, but uh, I would love to bring you in. Um, I'm glad Latroy connected us again because I would love to bring you in to be opinionated on some of the other conversations I've been bringing up. Um, so I think I'm going to schedule some time to bring you back to have another what's with all these ops, everything being ops <laughs> conversations and, and have you help me poke some holes on some things um, because you got, you got lots of opinions and I love it. Um, what I always try to end on a, on a more lighter note, what's, what's keeping you alive and, and happy and interested these days beyond technology, anything uh, in your life that, that makes you happy? Uh, my daughter, uh so it's either my daughter or technology. Kind of, I'm one of the weird ones that my hobbies are what happens to pay my bills at the same time. So, um, yeah. To be honest, I have I have no interest beyond technology, apart from the family, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. I relate to that. I can relate to that. I have I have one daughter and um and my life has been doing APIs and doing what I do. And I I worry sometimes because I don't like have any hobbies or I'm not artistic or I don't I'm not creative. Um and and my daughter uh the other day uh she she had to download R for a statistics mm. class. And so she's in university now. And so I started um I don't know. I started uh, having anxiety, I guess, about her having to uh, deal with the technology journey that I've been on. Um, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping she's going to be strong enough to handle it. So. You know, I have a theory that vast majority of people, I'm not now talking about our industry, but in general, hate their jobs. And the main reason why people have hobbies is because they need something fulfilling after the nightmare. Uh, of working something, ah, right? I like that. And we are kind of, many of us are lucky. We actually get paid for doing what other people would consider a hobby. Yeah. No, I like that. I agree with that because I love what I do. I live and breathe what I do. And I don't I don't feel bad for doing it. I mean, I do burn out from time to time and work too hard and, and don't balance things. But uh, I like that a lot. Um well, I'm, I'm gonna say goodbye here, but don't leave. I just wanna, I wanna get a, a goodbye from you for the show. So, well, this has been great. I really enjoyed sitting down with you. I'm glad you make time. I'm glad Latroy connected us. Thanks for joining me for Breaking Changes today. Likewise, thank you for having me. Thanks again to Victor for stopping by. For more on Victor, you can find him on LinkedIn, and you can learn more about Upbound at upbound.io. You can subscribe to the Breaking Changes podcast at postman.com slash events slash breaking dash changes. I'm your host, Ken Lane, and until next time, cheers. <laughs>